Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 119. This episode comes out on New Year's Eve 2020, so wherever and whenever you're listening in, Happy New Year, I hope that you're well, I hope that you're safe and that 2021 will be a slightly less challenging year than the year that was as it is the end of the year, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Precision Hydration and Roca, for their support throughout this year. It has definitely not been an easy year for companies in the endurance sports industry in general, so I am incredibly grateful that they have stuck with us throughout this year. Without the support of sponsors, this podcast couldn't exist in its current form because it's uh, just too big a demand in time and energy to not do this podcast professionally so the sponsors are very very important just as important as anything else in the podcast and uh, whenever you the listeners uh, shop with them then that is crucially important it uh, indirectly helps keep the show alive so if you are aware of that when uh, choosing which brands to shop from then that would uh, be a great help if you could choose the show sponsors precision hydration and roca to uh, to make sure that they get the value from the sponsorship that can keep them here with us for a long time and as you know precision hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat if you are somebody that loses a lot of salt in your sweat you can get a high concentrated electrolyte supplement and if you're on the lower side you can get a correspondingly low sodium concentration supplement if you're listening to this episode and suffer from a bit of a hangover from new year celebrations then uh, try a bottle of precision hydration electrolytes. Uh, while I don't know if there's any evidence of this, then some sources are actually telling me that anecdotally it does work to relieve a hangover. So I haven't tried it, but I've heard that maybe it's worth trying if you are in that situation. You can get 15% off your order of precision hydration products with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15 on precisionhydration.com. And Roca, as you know, are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, tri-suits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. My favorite product, any category, not just triathlon, but any category of 2020, was without a doubt the Roca Maverick X2 wetsuit. It just felt like swimming in a rocket ship. Uh, I was so amazed when putting it on and, and doing my first swim in it. It comes with the typical arms of technology that all Roca's wetsuits from the entry level up come with in order to not restrict your shoulder mobility. It also has an amazing buoyancy profile and it has uh, an exoskeleton that helps you use your core and hips more in your stroke and get a better transfer of power in the propulsive phase of your stroke. All of Roca's wetsuits from the very entry level up are very high quality and great value. But if your goal is to go as fast as humanly possible, get every single ounce of potential out of yourself, then I can't recommend the Maverick X2 enough. However, for people more on the beginner side of the spectrum that are not ready to invest in the flagship model, then the more entry-level options might be the best choice for you. And as I said, the value for money is incredibly high with all of those wetsuits. You can get 20% off your Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now let's get into today's questions, which are from Shai, who writes, Hello, Michael. My name is Shai from Tel Aviv in Israel. I love the podcast. My question is, is there any influence of heart rate 
uh, when running on the caloric expenditure. When I run with uh, heavy trail running shoes on a hilly course, for example, it requires more work than when I, I am running with racing flats on a flat pavement. Therefore, the calories expended should be higher. In this scenario, the heart rate will reflect the extra effort required for the hilly trail run. However, whenever I read about caloric expenditure in running, it always refers to the distance, saying that the work done is just the force times the the distance moved. Related to that topic, I heard two sports nutritionists claim uh, different opinions regarding the calories spent during a run. One of them claimed that the calories spent are only a factor of distance covered and that the intensity is responsible for the mix between carbs and fat. The other claimed that intensity plays an important role in the calories and at higher intensity we burn more calories per kilometer. What is your take on this? Also, the more economical a runner is, the less energy they will spend during the run. How significant is running economy improvements on caloric expenditure? Thank you for all the hard work doing this podcast, Shai. All right, thank you, Shai, for your questions. These are really, really good ones and uh, did take quite a lot of digging to find uh, good, solid answers. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's just dig in and start by discussing the impact of uh, running distance on the caloric expenditure or energy expenditure. Let's start by examining where the whole concept of predicting calories from just a distance run comes from. I'll reference here to a study called Energy Expenditure of Walking and Running, Comparison with Prediction Equations. There's a lot of details we could go into. Uh, I will try to be reasonably brief and not go into all of the technical details, but the paper is open access, uh, so you can read it in full. Just uh, find it in the episode description. But what these researchers did was that they put 24 subjects on a treadmill or on a track and they walked or ran one mile. So they compared two different modes of locomotion, walking and running, and they compared two different venues, the treadmill and the track. For our purposes here, we'll focus um, on the running for now. They measured energy expenditure with indirect calorimetry. So that's basically you're measuring the gas exchange and then calculating the energy from uh, from those values. So that is a, a very accurate way of, of measuring energy expenditure. And they then compared that measured expenditure with the predicted expenditure from a number of different equations and formulas that have been developed over the years through peer-reviewed research. And these equations and formulas included the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine formula, the McArdle tables, the Van der Waalt formula, the Leeger equation, and the Epstein uh, equation, and finally the Pandolf equation for walking only. And when it comes to running here, they found that the only predictions or formulas that did not significantly differ from the measured energy expenditure were the ACSM and the Leeger equations. I might be mispronouncing Leeger very significantly, so but it's L-E-G-E-R. And the other formulas either overestimated or underestimated the expenditure significantly. So you can find the specifics of these equations in the paper itself, again linked to in the episode description, but basically they both take speed as one of the inputs, and in the case of the ACSM formula, it also takes grade as 
one input. So you can use that formula when it comes to uphill running as well as flat running. The output that both of these formulas calculated is the oxygen consumption, so the VO2, measured in milliliters per minute per kilogram body weight. And if you then know the runner's weight, you can actually calculate the VO2 in, well, obviously you can calculate the VO2 in milliliters per minute, so uh, absolute oxygen uptake, not just the relative oxygen uptake. And that absolute value of oxygen in milliliters per minute or liters per minute can be converted to calories per minute or kilocalories per minute to be exact, because one liter of uh, oxygen equals five kilocalories. So if you know the speed, then finally, you can also calculate how long it takes to run one mile or one kilometer. And therefore, you can calculate the calorie expenditure for that given distance, for a mile, for a kilometer, whatever distance you want to. And to give some examples, I've made some calculations here with these formulas. First, with the ACSM formula, let's take a 70 kilogram runner running at 12 kilometers per hour. They're calculated uh, VO2 uh, will be 43.5 milliliters per minute per kilogram. And this translates to 15.2 calories per minute and since it will take them uh, five minutes to run one kilometer or eight minutes to run one mile, that means that per kilometer they will be running uh, using 76 calories and per mile 122 calories. Now, on the other hand, if they run at 16 kilometers per hour, then their VO2 will not be 43.5, but 56.8, according to this formula. And their calories per minute will go from 15.2 to 19.9 and their calories per kilometer will be constant, only run, rounding errors really, uh, from 76 to 75 uh, calories per kilometer and 122 to 120 calories per, per mile. And uh, I have made some, another example with a 60 kilogram runner, but as you can understand, uh, the only thing that happens is that, well, let's take the example, the 60 kilogram runner running at the same 16 kilometers per hour as in the previous example will only use 64 calories per kilometer instead of 75 as the 70 kilogram runner did now with the other formula that was shown to be good at uh, the the leaguer formula if we take the 70 kilogram runner at 12 kilometers per hour as in the first example they will be uh, the, the formula states that the vo2 will be 40.2 rather than 43.5 and consequently the calories per kilometer will be 70 instead of 76 in the first example and 113 calories per mile instead of 122 and uh, to give another example let's take the 60 kilogram runner at 16 kilometers per hour they will have a vo2 of 52.8 according to this formula compared to the ACSM 56.8 and consequently the calories per kilometer according to this formula will be 59 instead of 64 and uh, and yeah and and here you can see that the leaguer formula the 59 uh, calories per kilometer for the 60 kilogram runner and the 70 per kilometer for the 70 kilogram runner that is kind of the basis for a very well-known estimate that we have uh, it's the origin of the estimate, I would assume, that you burn roughly the same amount of calories per kilometer of running as your own w body weight in kilograms. So if you weigh 50 kilograms, then you would be burning 50 calories per kilometer of running. 
but uh, keep in mind here that the legal formula is designed for flat running not hill running the acsm formula does have that input of grade optional input of grade in it if you're running on uh, uphill but then again if your run starts and finishes at the same point then the average grade of your run will be zero but that doesn't mean that we can claim that the formula still stands because i simply think that this has not been tested but it wouldn't stand if if we would test it so so i would say you can use any of those formulas or for that matter the simple estimate of your the, your the calories burned per kilometer of running is similar to your body weight in kilograms and it works for flat runs it works well but the more hills you add to your run the more the actual expenditure will differ from these estimates just like the the surface you took an example of trail running for example and uh, and heavy trail shoes all of these things the further you go from how the research leading to these formulas was done and that was done in a laboratory or on a track in those kinds of controlled environments the further you go from the controlled environment the less accurate they become and one more thing that is very important we'll get to intensity a bit later but uh, keep in mind that the studies that have uh, that came up with these formulas in the first place they tend to use submaximal very much aerobic running and uh, not maximal running so it uh, yeah it begs the question how accurate are these estimates at higher intensities i don't know that this has been tested at all i think it probably hasn't but that is something to keep in mind that for steady aerobic runs it they probably are more accurate than when we do variable runs like interval runs just because that's something that hasn't quite been tested also even though this particular study that uh, i initially uh, referenced found no difference in energy cost between treadmill running and track running i have seen several other studies that compare the same thing and have found differences and uh, although i'm not aware of any research comparing other surfaces than these controlled environments of the track and the treadmill I think it's safe to assume that soft trails, for example, will require more energy than than solid tarmac. So, yeah, you don't know how much more energy you will use, but you can assume, in my opinion, that you will use more energy because you get less free energy return than you would get from solid tarmac or from a track or from a treadmill. And that leads to the second part of your question, or actually the first part of your question, I guess, but uh, that is how good heart rate is in terms of predicting caloric expenditure or energy expenditure there actually is i found surprisingly little research on this topic using heart rate to estimate energy expenditure is based on the premise that heart rate increases more or less linearly with oxygen uptake with vo2 and this is a premise that isn't exactly accurate uh, at least not at higher intensities when you go above a metabolic steady state when you go above critical speed or critical power or lactate threshold whatever you want to call it and it will also depend on a number of other factors heart rate that is such as temperature and hydration that are not related to the metabolism so it's not really a solid base to work from in my opinion in the first place one good study that i found that investigated the accuracy of using heart rate for energy expenditure estimates is from Rose and colleagues, sorry, Rose and colleagues in 2017, and it is called the validity of sports watches when estimating energy expenditure during running. 
So what these researchers did is that they took 20 subjects who ran on the treadmill with three different watches and their corresponding heart rate monitors at the same time. So they used the Sunto Ambit 2, the Polar V800 and the Garmin Forerunner 920XT. They first had a day of testing where they did an incremental test to assess VO2 max and maximum heart rate. And then on the second day, they did the actual uh, experiment where they compared the heart rate-based calorie estimates, energy expenditure estimates, with measured uh, energy expenditure through indirect calorimetry, again, through the spirometry. And the test protocol was that they ran at 30%, 50% and 70% of their maximum aerobic speed, which was determined the day before in the incremental test. Essentially, something similar to their peak one minute speed in that incremental ramp test so they started at a very low intensity and then the two other stages were still low intensity but but slightly higher each of those stages lasted 10 minutes and there was two minutes of standing rest uh, between each of them then they did two more stages they were only 90 seconds each but they were intense they were done at 90 percent of their maximum aerobic speed and 110 percent of maximum aerobic speed and again, with two minutes of, re- of rest in between. And the results of the study are really interesting. Again, I will link to the article in the episode description, and it is also open access, so you can read it and see the results and the tables in detail. But the most important results, the comparison of energy expend- expenditure from the heart rate-based estimates with the actual measured energy expenditure, showed that the Polar device was not significantly different from the measured energy expenditure at the 10-minute stages, any of the 10-minute stages. They were all within statistical insignificant difference. So so that's good. And the, I should say that the average heart rate for these three 10-minute stages across all subjects were 100 BPM for stage 1, 129 BPM for stage 2, and 151 BPM for stage 3. So that gives you an idea of the intensity. Uh, the Sunto device, on the other hand, was significantly different from the measured uh, energy expenditure on stages 1 and 2, but not on stage 3. And the Garmin, finally, was significantly different at the first stage, but not at stages 2 and 3. So here the Polar device did best, the Garmin device second best, and the Sunto did the worst. I think, just as a comment from myself, that the speed at stage one was so low, it was 4.7 kilometers per hour, which is a walking speed. That may be the reason that both the Garmin and Sunto did really poorly there is because, well, the assumption is when you start those watches that you are running, you actually select a sports profile and that sports profile is running. And uh, running does have a different energy expenditure from walking. I mentioned the study where they compare the different equations and formulas and those formulas exist in different formats for walking compared to running because the energy expenditure for a given distance is different so so maybe that is one reason that the the first stage was really bad i think that that can maybe be excused the fact that the algorithms couldn't handle those cases because they were on the extreme end of the spectrum Uh, at stages two and three just as comparison the speeds run were 7.5 and 11.1 kilometers per hour which is 4.7 and 6.9 miles per hour and again the heart rates were 129 and 150 
51 so more definitely we're getting into into running territory there rather than walking but then at the higher speeds the very the, the very short stage is the 90 second stage is at 90 percent and 110 percent of max aerobic speed with where the speeds were 14 and 17 kilometers per hour for these subjects or 8.7 and 10.6 miles per hour per hour all of the devices were significantly different from the measured energy expenditure uh, at these stages and heart rate at these stages averaged 167 and 176 respectively and it's important here to mention actually that all of the devices underestimate underestimated energy expenditure at this higher intensity. So this is just one study. But as I said, in running, even in endurance sports as a whole, I couldn't really find a whole lot of good research on heart rate energy expenditure estimates. And for example, doing all the standard practice thing things of finding more studies on the same topic by scanning the entire reference list of this publication and also then finding all the articles that have cited this particular paper so articles that have been published later and that might have done something similar i did all of that and couldn't really come up with with a whole lot so so yeah that's that's a bit limited there is a whole lot more when we consider research for example about activity trackers in general such as fitbits apple watches and what have you there's quite a bit of research on how accurately they estimate energy expenditure and generally, those studies seem to find that their estimations are very different from the actual uh, true gold standard measured energy expenditure. So, uh, so that is something that maybe we can't exactly interpolate to a controlled run, but uh, because free living is a bit more complex and more varied than just a standard training run. But, but I still think it gives us an indication that while it's true that an increased heart rate will be an indication of increased metabolic demand and increased energy expenditure the actual accuracy of energy expenditure estimates based on heart rate just isn't good uh, it can be good at certain intensities sub-maximal intensities uh, that are not walking but also are not too intense but uh, based on what i've seen this study in particular uh, that it, it really is a limited scope where we have decent accuracy and it also depends on the device and by the way if you want to know well so i already said that i guess but the device that seems to be doing the best job is the polar one uh, ahead of the garmin and the sunto this of course is uh, a couple of generations ago in terms of the, the actual devices but uh, but still interesting to know now, when it comes to the question about intensity and calories, which you ask about, and, and this will also lead into the economy discussion, so I'll tackle those two simultaneously. If we go back to the first study that I talked about and uh, how we can estimate energy expenditure based on distance if the course is flat, then the researchers there did also compare running and walking, as I think I maybe said already. And they found that running used 40% more energy than walking, both on the treadmill and on the track. And this was at uh, modest running speeds, so 10 to 13 minutes per mile. And uh, I would say that these, are, these would be modest speeds even for, for those subjects, because the subjects had VO2 max values of 48 for the women and 53 for the men. So uh, definitely not untrained, but uh, trained, uh, active individuals. And... Uh, 
and they so 10 to 30 minutes per mile should be something pretty pretty easy for them easy running but still running use a lot more energy to to run one mile than to walk one mile now running and walking are different biomechanically even though they're similar but they're not the same so i don't think we can take this as as outright evidence that that going faster that increasing the intensity uh, really does increase energy expenditure because we're not really comparing apples to oranges but we'll get to that in just a minute but uh, first if we think about where the whole notion that running one kilometer fast or slow doesn't matter in terms of energy expenditure where does that come from well it in my opinion comes from the fact that we have these formulas that work pretty well but but the fact is that they're based on you have taken a large number of data points of different athletes different gender different size different weight maybe different speed i'm not sure if they're all tested at the same speed or same relative speed Uh, either way it doesn't matter because they're all synthesized in some sort of regression into an equation that as close as possible has the objective to predict energy expenditure so we get one equation one formula well we have several several of them but still you have for one unique input speed essentially put simply you have one unique output oxygen uptake leading to energy expenditure but this is based on all these data points around it and uh, the variation well we would need to go and look at the original studies i haven't done that but there's sure to be some variation uh, calculated in those papers for how much the discrepancy and the error can be and uh, I would say that at some maximal intensities, they are, are probably doing a really, really good job. Uh, at the higher ends of the spectrum, probably they start to the error starts to become a bit more significant. So let's, but that, but that is essentially the background. That the reason that we have this this uh, notion that maybe it doesn't matter how fast you're running, it's because we have formulas that say that that is the case but we need to remember those are based on a large number of data points and they do not exactly match those data points it's not a physiological biochemical formula it's something that is it's a regression analysis so there is an error in there and uh, that leads us on to running economy because we have quite a bit of data on running economy running economy for those not aware is basically the cost of running in oxygen so it can be expressed as milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight per minute or milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight per kilometer and uh, it's important with running economy that it should always be expressed at a given velocity because no person has one this is my running economy your running economy will change depending on if you're running at eight kilometers per hour or 12 or 16 it will be very different in studies of elite runners, 16 kilometers per hour, which is uh, 10 miles per hour, is often used as a reference value. So if you see such references that this runner has a, an economy of X, Y, and Z, then that basically means that uh, that probably, unless otherwise specified, it's at 16 kilometers per hour. When we look at data and benchmarks for running economy, we can see that it does vary a fair amount both between groups of runners of different ability, such as elite runners have a lot better running economy than well-trained runners that still have better economy than moderately trained runners that have better economy than recreational uh, athletes. And within these more homogenous groups, within elite runners or within a person, 
there are differences in running economy at different intensities. So for example, elite runners would be more economical than recreational runners when both are running at 14 kilometers per hour. But elite runners would also be more economical than they are themselves when they are running at 14 kilometers per hour compared to when they are at 16, 18, or 20 kilometers per hour. Economy would go down as intensity goes up. And we have a great reference here, actually, which is Barnes and Kilding from 2015, uh, a paper called Running Economy, Measurement, Norms, and Determining Factors. Really highly recommended open access paper. Great stuff. It's in the episode description. Go and have a look at that if you're interested. And in table one, you can see these different groups. So recreational athletes, moderately trained runners, highly trained runners, and elite athletes, how they differ in economy at different speeds. You should be aware that the economy values are given in milliliters per kilograms per minute. We actually more commonly see milliliters per kilogram per kilometer. At least that's yeah, that's what that's what I've seen. So uh, you need to do some math to, to do those conversions. Uh, I have done that. So for example, when looking at elite runners and their different economy at 14, 16, 18, and 20 kilometers per hour, their economy in milliliters per kilogram body weight per kilometer is 171, 180, 187, and 192 respectively. So some quick math, sorry, I'm going to type here while uh, recording this. Quick math gives us a difference in 12%, a 12% increased cost of oxygen when going from 14 kilometers per hour to 20 kilometers per hour. And 20, if it's an absolute world-class runner, like among the best of the best of the best, then that's their marathon race pace. And if it's a world-class runner who is still world-class, but just slightly below the best of the best of the best, then that could be their half marathon race pace, more or less. Either way, 14 kilometers per hour would be just a, a very easy run for them. So let's take an example of a 60 kilogram runner. And if they do an easy run at 14 kilometers per hour at 171 milliliters per kilogram per kilometer, and then they go and do, let's say, a half marathon race pace at 20 kilometers per hour, their caloric expenditure in the former at the former pace the 14 kilometers per hour will be 51 uh, kilocalories per kilometer and it will be 58 at 20 kilometers per hour so it doesn't sound like much a seven calorie difference for one kilometer but let's say they go out and do a 20 kilometer easy run versus a 20 kilometer race pace run uh, well probably if, the, if it's their half marathon race pace that's the race itself let's say that they're world class and it's their marathon training run so they can do 20 kilometers of marathon race pace then it adds up to 140 calories of a difference so uh, maybe not massive but definitely not insignificant similarly if we compare a moderately trained runner running at 14 kilometers per hour with an elite runner running at 14 kilometers per hour the difference in economy as expressed per kilometer is that the moderately trained runner would use 201 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight per, per kilometer versus 171 for the elite runner. And let's say that they both weigh 70 kilograms. Then the energy expenditure in, in calories per kilometer would be 70 for the moderately trained runner and 60 for the elite runner. So note here that, again, the estimate holds up really well one kilometer costs you your body weight in calories for the moderate runner that applies here and this is based on 
different data. This is not based on the formulas. This is based on the normative references from the paper on running economy, where I just took the typical economy of a moderately trained runner uh, at uh, 14 kilometers per hour, and I still got the 70 calories for 70 kilograms. So, so that works really well here. But then again, if you're an elite runner, it doesn't really work because that's such an easy pace and your economy is so much better that, and that actually you're using less. And at the same time, if you're a recreational runner and 14 kilometers per hour is really, really hard, then it's going to cost you more than that to, to run, uh, to run one kilometer at that pace. And again, let's say that the moderately trained runner and elite runner go out and do a one hour run at that 14 kilometer pace then that difference also ends up being significant at 140 uh, calories. So to answer your question directly, does intensity matter? Like, Is it just the distance or does intensity matter? Yes, intensity does matter because economy depends on intensity and the change in economy will lead to a change in energy expenditure. So, so that's it. And again, really, really go and have a look at that economy paper because it's absolutely brilliant and, and all of the normative references are really cool to, to have a look at. Then finally, you also asked if there is a genetic limitation on the economy of each runner. I will give a very brief answer to this because I'm by no means an expert, but uh, well, the review paper here already referred to gives quite a bit of information. And genetics certainly do play a role because things like body type body shape uh, and so on impact running economy quite heavily as may things like muscle fiber type distribution and other factors which are to various extents impacted by genetics but many of the factors impacting running economy are even if they may be impacted by genetics as well they are also trainable and some factors may be very very trainable and there are some very interesting case studies, notably Paula Radcliffe, the women's marathon world record holder, that economy may be the parameter, the parameter that we really can keep improving and improving with training year after year, long after things like VO2 max would plateau. So Paula Radcliffe, for example, her economy got down to 165 milliliters per minute per kilometer, which is really good for, really, really good for a female athlete. And that was at 16 kilometer per hour, I believe. Now, in terms of the limitations in human performance, just for fun, because the review paper referenced these, apparently the greatest running economy ever seen in published research at 16 kilometers per hour, which is where we have the most data, was 146 milliliters per kilogram per kilometer. That was an East African runner capable of running 335 for 1500 meters despite having a VO2 max of only 63 milliliters per minute per kilogram. That's very low for a 335, 1500 meter runner. So that's really cool. He probably also had a very good anaerobic capacity as well as a great economy. But uh, probably uh, even greater, even if it was recorded at a different speed, so it's not quite an apples to oranges comparison, but uh, a famous case study is the, the men's world record holder for the half marathon Tadese Serisenai who did 58 minutes 23 seconds uh, in his world record at 19 kilometers per hour he was measured at an economy of 150 milliliters per kilogram per kilometer so only four mils higher than the 146 of the best ever published at 16 kilometers per hour but remember Tadese was measured at 19 kilometers per hour so significantly faster and 
most likely would have been quite a bit below the 146 uh, economy world record, if you will, that was previously measured. So I hope that this answers your questions, Shai. And uh, that's it for today's Q&A. As mentioned, I will have links in the episode description to all of the papers referenced today. So you can go and check them out. And they're all open access, so well worth having a look at them. Keep sending in questions if you want to get your questions answered. And my email address for that is michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And it's Michael with a K. Finally, big thanks again to our sponsors. Thank you for today and thank you for the entire year to Precision Hydration and Roka. You can find Precision Hydration on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and an estimate for your sodium concentration. And then you can match the electrolyte products that you get from Precision Hydration to your individual sweat rate. You can get 15% off your order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And you can get 20% off your entire Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>